You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to number 187 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Another week, another episode. And in this one we are going to talk about shamanism and psychedelics and about healing in general. But before we get into that, I want to say that there are many ways to support the podcast. You can write a nice review on iTunes. You can like and follow the podcast in social media. You can share it with friends. You can order a t-shirt. You can arrange for world peace. You can show love and compassion to your enemies. All of this is good stuff. All of it supports the podcast. But another way to support this enterprise is to go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. For only a few bucks a month, you'll get access to behind the scenes, rants, special recordings, sound art projects, deleted material and a bunch of other stuff. As well as access to these episodes way before they are actually released. There is a link in the program notes of this episode if you want to go over to Patreon and become a supporter. Join us at what I like to call the Round Table of Divine Mystery over there at patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. I also want to thank Corey Harper for doing just that. Sorry for taking such a long time to thank you in public, but uh, time is an illusion. Like I said before, this episode is going to feature a lot of stories related to psychedelics and there was one segment I decided to cut out of this talk. At first I planned to play it for my patrons only but then I thought no this is way too important. This needs to be heard by everyone. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. You know, I, I really feel like I should mention this because it is an aspect to shamanism that is uh, – it's it's of the higher levels of shamanism and that is things like datura or like jimson weed or things like ibogaine um, or even, even things like heavy doses of ayahuasca, you know um, – or heavy dose, really heavy heroic doses of mushrooms or the medicine. All of these things, when they get to a certain level, you know, it can be dangerous. You know, that's these these are not these are not toys. You know, I liken them to power tools of the mind or power tools of consciousness. Now, you can build a house with power tools. You can do a whole lot of good with power tools. But you can also like really mess a whole lot of stuff up with power tools and really quickly too. You know, you can do a whole lot of good with a jackhammer. You can do a whole lot of bad with a jackhammer. Whenever consuming a plant, I suggest, you know, Look into the shamanic ritual and practice and ceremony of using the plant, of the traditional uh, uh, techniques. You know whether that be mantra or drumming or you know like a, like a sweat lodge or something like you know. 
you, you need to structure your trips. You need to structure your experiences because a lot of the time people get into these really profound places and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with their minds. They don't know what to do with their energy. And then they get kind of lost, you know, especially in the deeper portions of, of the mind. And it can be like, what's the, the is it MC Escher, the, the guy that has all the, 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 the drawings of like the upside down staircases and shit like that. Like it can go weird places, you know, and, you know, if you're not prepared shamanically, if you're not ready with, you know, a guide of some sort or at least some sort of knowledge while you're entering these places, then it's easy to get lost. Getting lost in a place like that can end up taking a long time to come back from even when you even after you sober up. So that's what the shaman is there for. I mean, could you imagine, for example, if you had some of these really intense, deep experiences with the ayahuasca, but nobody was there to guide you through it? Because these are very intense and profound and um, boundary dissolving and what Terence called paradigm shattering phenomena, which basically means that after you consume these things, your view of reality is no longer the same. Now, that's something that some people take lightly, but it is nothing to be taken lightly. You know, you and I, of all people, should know, considering you know some of the places that we've been. But I'm speaking so vehemently. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir with you, but I'm speaking so vehemently because you know there may be one or two people in your audience that haven't heard this quite yet. You know, and uh, I'll admit, when I first started on this path, I was not respectful of the plants. I was, not, I didn't look into the shaman, uh, the shamanic aspects of things, and yada yada yada. I, it took getting my ass handed to me more than once, and not enjoying myself, and, and leaving it behind for a while and then coming to terms with the fact that I was a jackass it wasn't the plant's fault you know and then once I opened up and accepted the idea that I didn't know jack shit that you know and the plant was my teacher that it really started saying oh okay well now that you finally got it let's get to business okay so my guest in this episode of which you already heard a bit from is Lone Wolf a shaman and an author So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and, and what you do? Absolutely. Um, well, my name is Lone Wolf. Uh, I'm a, a shaman of about 15 years now. Um, I uh, have been practicing shamanism uh, just because it, for you know lack of a better reason because I found everything else insufficient. Um I have uh, the, I've had dreams of uh, you know being a wolf you know that's hence why my last you know the lone wolf and my I, I spelled the first name uh, L O A N because my body's on loan from God you know at least that's how I look at it you know the 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 body is a tool on loan from the Great Spirit you know and uh, I've tried to take that mentality into pretty much everything that I do in life. And I've written a book. Uh, it's called uh, Will and Power Inside the Living Library. Um, it kind of delves into uh, a lot of the essential gold of, of many of the things that I've learned on this path that I've been on. And um, to make a long story short, it's the best I could do for the last three years uh, to compress the last 15, <laughs> you know, into you know one uh, one book, you know. I still I, I have a number of other books lined up um, with it as well, but uh, this is the first one. 
So was it anything that happened in your life that made you go on this shamanic path? Uh, yeah, you know what? I got to be honest with you. Um, um, it, it, it honestly was the trauma. It was trauma. Um, I had quite a uh, quite an interesting childhood, and um, to be perfectly honest, uh, it's too much to go into now. But uh, it shaped me into who I am, and I needed to uh, to overcome the pain of that trauma. I needed to. Uh, to in one way or another be stronger than the trauma in order to you know get where i am today in order to be alive and many shaman have a very similar uh path that they go on in that like you know their shaman sickness you know and stuff like that um which where was basically where the shaman gets sick due to the fact that uh he's not walking the shamanic path or she isn't walking the shamanic path and they go to the shaman and they say, you know, I don't understand why I'm sick. And the shaman's able to tell, Oh, you know, you have shaman sickness, you know? So I kind of went through my own little shaman sickness for a couple of years or deep, deep, deep depression. Um, you know, some, uh, bad habits, you know, um, uh, not taking care of myself spiritually, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, um, and then after a while, it got to a point where it was either, you know, either you're going to die this way or, you know, you can change your life and go this other route. And so, of course, I chose life, you know, who, who's, who, who wants to choose death? So have you had a chance to work anything with uh, the people that are local to where you live? Because I know you, you're in Arizona and I was in Arizona uh, last year only to visit the uh, Navajo Nation and the uh, Hopis. Oh yeah. Um, well, I'll say this much. Um, I've been to a number of sweat lodge ceremonies uh, where they, uh, you know, somebody. Uh, are you familiar with sweat lodges? Um, actually, I, I, I'm familiar with it, but uh, you should explain uh, for the listeners. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so basically, a sweat lodge ceremony is a shamanic uh, process of purification and cleansing, and it's used. Uh, in particular, uh, to in many cases heal uh, people that are either a sick with like a disease or something like that, or they have a trauma or something like that. Um, and how how it's done is um, they build a large fire, a large uh, big fire, and um, they uh, put these large lava rocks, maybe about the size of a football, sometimes smaller, inside of the, this fire. And they let it cook for a good hour, two hours in, inside the fire. And uh, across from the bonfire, they have what looks like, um, I don't know, uh, it's a large hole dug in the ground. But it's, it's lined with like uh, wood uh, stakes and stuff that create kind of a, a dome shape. And then they put canvas over it or, you know, cloth or whatever and uh, kind of seal it off. And the uh, entrance for the sweat lodge is like right across from the fire where these stones are at. And so they'll take these stones out of the fire with the pitchfork that they have and they'll put them in one at a time inside of this smaller semicircle in the middle of the sweat lodge. And they put eight to anywhere from eight to 10 to 12 of these stones at a time on into this circle. And then they close up all the flaps and they pour 
water on it uh, with uh, sometimes they use like a, a horn or, uh, you know, like a big bushel of sage or something like that um, to pour the water onto the stones. And the stones create this massive amount of heat that permeates the whole sweat lodge. And then they pull out uh, their drum and their, their rattle and they sing their songs. And they usually do uh, anywhere from three to four songs. Most of the time uh, they try to do the whole, you know, uh, uh, four directions thing. Uh, so they do four songs. Um, and, uh, they basically, uh, when it gets right down to it, when you really want to get out and you're like, I can't tolerate this anymore. They just say, that's when you need to pray. You know, that's when you call on the creator. That's when you call onto your ancestors. That's when you call to your, your, the great spirit, you know, and, uh, you pray. And I got to tell you, you know, that not only is it a amazing tool for prayer but also you know for cleansing of like emotions and pain and yada 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 you know I, I think that a lot of the reason why we have so many of the problems that we have in society today is because we don't know how to, to do we don't know how to deal with pain we don't know how to deal with trauma and because we don't know how to deal with pain we don't know how to deal with trauma uh there's people searching for every avenue whether that be you know like say the consumption of alcohol or through uh you know Overconsumption of food, or through jumping out of airplanes, which you know, may, you know, pick your poison, you know. But ultimately, it's because uh, you know we've lost touch with this uh, this this portion of uh, our ancestry, like what you were talking about. Yes, about like the natives and you know their traditions. They haven't lost touch with that. And these are techniques that have lasted for thousands of years and have been effective for thousands of years. And that's part of the reason why I chose shamanism out of everything. I was raised Catholic, you know, and so after looking at everything, I kind of realized that everything was shamanism and that it's because it works. I've uh, visited indigenous in Central Africa and in, in Latin America, and they also have their version of sweat lodges. They do it a bit differently, but it's kind of the same thing in the end yes as long as the result is uh physical spiritual and mental transformation you know i think that's that's ultimately the the real goal of shamanism you know other than understanding oneself and one's environment and one's role in the world is that exactly what you know um yeah and i'm thinking like uh, when people are have are sick normal you know they got the flu or, or whatever Uh, usually your body creates a fever and that's how you get well so maybe that's why the sweat lodges work because you create a fever because you are physically well but uh, not spiritually or mentally maybe right 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 well and i'm all i'm also of the belief that you know all dis-ease is a result of mental or emotional trauma that isn't being dealt with You know, um, it's uh, it's like you're bottling up this energy and you have to put it somewhere in the body. So you end up putting it, say, in your stomach uh, or, you know, maybe you get and you put it in your head. That's why you get headaches or, you know, you, the reason why your feet hurt all the time is because that's where you're keeping all your pain and your stress. You know what I mean? So what what's it like, you know, to walk the shamanic path when we're talking about, you know, going to work or 
going to the post office or just normal stuff because I'm always interested in how to apply the spiritual to the, the mundane. Right, right, right. Um, well, um, um, there's a Zen saying. It goes something like, uh, you know, a Zen master was approached by his student and uh, the Zen master, I mean, the student said uh, to the Zen master, um, you know, I'm, everything is so mundane. I, I wake up every morning, I eat, you know, I, I get dressed, I put on my shoes, you know, I, it's like, you know, the same thing over and over again. And, and, uh, the, uh, the Zen master says, oh, well, if, if that's your problem, then, uh, you know, when you wake up, when you wake up, you know, chew your food and put on your clothes. And I know it sounds kind of funny, but that's the thing about Zen is that it's like, you know, it's kind of like what? You know, but it, 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 there's something deeper in it that like in that like shamans, while shamans do live kind of on the outskirts of society, they're still very much people and having to deal with, you know, going to your nine to five job can be really difficult for somebody on the shamanic path if they don't do something that agrees with their principles. You know, I work in, with uh, teen boys. Um, I, I work in the system with, you know, kids that are in the system. And so for me, that is part of the shamanic path is helping the young, helping the youth, you know, helping uh, uh, troubled people, yada, 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 get over their traumas. You know, um, that's part of the shamanic path. But if I'm say, if I was, when I was working at like, you know, a hardware store or, you know, you know, when I was selling vacuum cleaners door to door, I hated my job. I hated my life. I couldn't stand the way that I was living. I was depressed all the time, you know. So um, ultimately, when it comes to walking the shamanic path, if you don't do what your heart tells you to, then you're going to be miserable. Ironically, you know, to be a shaman and heal somebody is kind of like using a spiritual vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. You know, I tried to apply shamanism to some of these uh, jobs that I had. But to be honest with you, it got to a point to where I was just so fed up with the commercial aspect of everything that I, I couldn't be myself. I couldn't be genuine, you know, and I knew that I needed to be in a place uh as far as my workplace where I could be myself, where I could be genuine and that would be my strong suit. You know what I mean? Uh, shamans don't fit well in the boxes, you know, cause their, their whole thing, the whole thing is about a shaman is that they're all about getting outside the box. So these kids you work with, do you have any restrictions on what you could say to them? Because maybe there's some rules and regulations and if you go too woo-woo, they'll fire you, you know, like that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, definitely can't go telling the kids, you know, hey, man, you know, you should you should totally, tr you know, uh, eat these mushrooms or something. No, God, no. I would never say something like that. You know, uh, I, the limit for me um, is always what would I say to my own children? You know, I, um, I, I always try to treat the kids as if they were my own. And so, you know, for me, what it comes down to is what would I want said to my kid if it was a stranger? You know what I'm saying? Cause I'm not necessarily, I'm not like a stranger, but you know, I'm, I'm just a, a person that works there uh, with them, you know, eight to 10 hours, 12 hours a day. And then I go home, you know, and then somebody else comes on staff, 
You know what I mean? So you kind of have to, and this is, this is part of shamanism is you try to look at, you know, things from everybody else's perspective, you know, and you try to empathize as much as you can, you know, with all aspects, uh, involved in the situation. And then from there, do you make your decision? There's some, you know, some kids have problems with, you know, say, uh, alcohol abuse. And let's say these kids are native, you know, um, and I'll tell, I'll go as far as saying, Hey, you know, I've been to some sweat lodge, uh, sweat lodges. You know, I, I think that would help you with, you know, some of these addictions that you might have. I would totally be willing to say that I've even offered to take the kids to the sweat lodge a time or two, you know, it, the, uh, they seem up for it at first, and then after a while, the the idea of you know <laughs> going through it that seems kind of I don't know, you know, because it is pretty intense. But I always joke that uh, I'm not going to tell my daughter to become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. I'm just going to say that when you're 18, you're drinking ayahuasca, and then you're out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what, man? I'm glad you broke that ice there because, you know, I'm kind of kind of dancing around it there when I was talking about mushrooms. You know, um, that I, I shamanism, in my opinion, and this is, you know, this may be an unpopular opinion among shamans, but you know, shamanism, in my opinion, is, uh, you know, it's like uh, a castrated bull without psychoactive plants. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it's still, you know, can do, it can still be effective, but, you know, it's got no oomph behind it, you know? And um, I think that when your name is Natural Born Alchemist, you know, I think that the plants are the, uh, the alchemical fire that our consciousness must be set through time and time and time again in order to fully understand who we are and why we're here. I noticed that uh, if if my foundation is shamanic ceremony with psychedelics of some sort, uh, then if I uh, even years later do some shamanic ritual without them, that works because... uh, they're always, you know, they can surface in memory or in the vibe. Uh, so it doesn't have to be every time, but they have to be there as the foundation, I think. I agree entirely. And you're right. It doesn't have to be there every time. You know, uh, there's many ceremonies, um, you know, like, uh, for example, the Sundance ceremony. There's no plants consumed at all but i'll tell you you know you go through that and you come out on the other end feeling like you know you're there you know um i haven't done uh a sundance uh uh ceremony before but uh you know i know people who have and i only have respect for them and what they've been through so these kids you work with the what is the problem these days? Is it just they have bad parents or what's the issues? The issue is, as I said before, people don't know how to deal with pain. They don't know how to deal with trauma. They don't know how to deal with rejection. Um, they don't know how to deal with suffering. And, you know, as hilarious as it, you know, it's kind of dark humor. You know, the problem hasn't changed since Buddha. You know what I mean? Suffering, essentially. You know, and people don't know how to uh, react 
or act towards that, you know, and that's largely due to the fact that we uh, learn from our parents uh, and they learn from their parents and they learn from their and yada, yada, yada. And in this consumerism type culture, in this materialistic culture, you know, not so much a tribal culture, um, a uh, it's kind of like the game of telephone. A flawed view of reality has been passed down, and it's gotten more and more distorted as the the word and the message is getting passed down from generation to generation. And eventually, you know, we get this jumbled up message that talks about you know how we're worthless and we need a savior and we have to go to this building once a week and give our money and you know yada 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 and that's how we're going to feel some sort of sense of you know satisfaction with life you know um and that is you know it it takes the spirit and it takes the uh the direct experience of that spirit right out of people's hands. Not to say you can't get a spiritual experience by going to church. I mean, many people, you can get a spiritual experience anywhere. You know what I mean? But um, pain and trauma has been used by people with that don't love you but want your money. You know, to line their pockets under the guise of taking care of your problems. You know, and then uh, you give your money and you feel good in the moment, but then, you know, you get home and you're, you know, you're still a dick and beating your wife and yelling at your kid and, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, you can't, you can't live that way, you know, and, uh, and just think it'll all get washed away at church. So, um, dealing with the pain, dealing with the trauma is the, key to i think all societal transformation um shamanism hits these things directly it it doesn't ask you to give your tidings once a month or once a week or whatever It, it doesn't ask you to you know read and memorize a bunch of passages in a book you know whether that be a college textbook or a bible you know or a quran or whatever you know shamanism says you know go deep inside yourself don't screw around about it find the reason why you're here answer the toughest questions that you are afraid to answer and you're going to feel better about it you know but most people don't want to hear that because then that means that these these problems that they've been running from ever since they were children are right back in front of their face. And the problem I, I ultimately think comes down to, you know, they experience pain for the first time as a child. And then eventually they come to the realization of, you know, I'm going to die one day. And so then there's this like idea of associating pain and death and like death being like the ultimate pain. And then so they spend their whole lives trying to avoid this thing that was a trauma for them as a child. And uh, they never – basically they never get over the fact that they're going to die one day. And this is why people are so spiritually underdeveloped. You know, and it's also the reason why death or confronting death or or the idea of impermanence is a vital and key portion to shamanism because it's dealing with the facts. I want to say a few things about you mentioned being forgiven and the biggest uh, difference I think between uh, organized religion and and uh, doing like for instance an ayahuasca ceremony is in both cases you're forgiven but if you're um if, you know if you do something bad you go to church you're forgiven then you do the bad thing again you go back to church you're forgiven you can do that forever but with the uh, 
for instance, with ayahuasca, I discovered that uh, if it forgives you and it, you know, you find out what you should not do or, you know, what you should improve. And if you don't do that and you drink it again, it's still going to forgive you, but it's also going to rape your mind, you know. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> going to be really rough on you. Yeah, the mushroom does that too. Um, and so does the cactus. So does the cactus. All the, all of the plant teachers are are loving but ruthless. They they do not care about your excuses <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh yeah, well, okay, that it belongs in the trash. Okay, come on, take your spanking. But if I may, really quick though, there has been a time or two with mushrooms in particular where you know i i felt as though i was going to get a real a real spanking a real whooping you know and when i ate them the and and came into it the mushroom was like dude where you been man you've been running this whole time you ain't even got all that much to trip about man i just wanted to see you you know almost like an old friend you know and i i know that ayahuasca is kind of mother ayahuasca so it's almost like she has the for the forgiveness of a mother, but she also has the fury of a mother. <laughs> uh, for like 10 years in my life, I used to self-medicate with cannabis to the point where uh, it, it was a sort of addiction. And the ayahuasca told me that uh, that's over now. You don't need it anymore. And uh, these days I don't. I feel I'm naturally stoned uh, because before I needed cannabis to to relax, but now I'm naturally relaxed. But anyway, before I went that far, I was in between trips to Peru and I'd stopped smoking cannabis and I knew I was going back to Peru and I was a bit proud that, you know, like, oh, I'm going to show Mother Ayahuasca that I, I've, I've moved on. And, uh, but... I ended up in a situation where I was, you know, where we we're going to smoke a joint. So I said, oh, it's a nice sunset. I'll just have a joint. So I smoked the joint and the sunset. Uh, and I never had a visionary experience on cannabis, really. But the, the, in the sunset, I saw the face of Mother Ayahuasca wagging her finger at me. <laughs> oh, man. And... Uh, I just stopped smoking instantly. I thought, oh no, I can't, I have to stop, you know. <laughs> so that, it, it's uh, people, I mean, I guess normal people, they w- wouldn't believe me, but it's it's true. It's it's strange to, to uh, it's, I mean, I can't prove it, but uh, that's what happened. Uh, but it wasn't that ayahuasca thinks cannabis is bad. It's just, it wasn't good the way i was using it right and it's in and, and the plants always have your higher and best interest at heart you know whether it be mother ayahuasca you know you know uh father mushroom or you know uh uh the, the cactus whatever man it it all has its uh its own agenda but it's a loving agenda you know what I mean? It's not – I've never in all of my time of, of exploring with plants have I ever gotten the vibration that in any way, shape or form the plants were bad. You know what I mean? I've done LSD and there was a number of times where 
while hearing my brain sizzle, I thought to myself, this can't be good. <laughs> you know, like I know some people swear by it and, you know, I'm not going to lie. I absolutely loved the times that I had on it. Uh, LSD was incredible, but you know, it's artificial. I'm trusting some amateur chemist with my brain, you know, uh, you never know what you're taking. It, you know, stuff is made from stuff under the sink half the time. You know, it's just it's a you, you need a doctorate in chemistry to make LSD. Yeah, pretty much. From what I understand, you need you need like a high degree in chemistry to make LSD because you're synthesizing a molecule. You're creating something pretty much out of nothing. I mean, LSA is a derivative uh, a compound that could uh, or uh, a, a a, der a derivative of a plant that you could make into LSD, but you know, I, I think Albert Hoffman when he made it, he synthesized it completely. It wasn't. It was not. Um, it was not uh, naturally created, or um, I, I, don't, I don't even remember what the term is called for when you change a molecule, where you extract a molecule and then you add on to it. I uh, in the past year I've done a couple of LSD ceremonies only for the reason that I wanted to uh, just check it out because of the legends you hear about the 60s and that but uh, I, I I couldn't get into it I couldn't it, it didn't work I mean it worked but I didn't get anything really out of it and I couldn't really it didn't match my, uh, I don't know, I just felt like oh, I wish I'd had some mushrooms instead or something. I don't know, but maybe that's just uh, uh, me. But I had this thing where, is this what the hippies and the summer of, is it based on this? This is not enough, I, I felt. Yeah, that, and see, that's the thing. And this is this is why I don't do LSD. Because the first eight times I did it, that was how I felt about it. And then I was like, oh, well, this is cool. I can't believe this is what all the hype was about. This is, I mean, this is cool and everything, but you know, huh? I was kind of expecting more. And then I got a batch of some stuff that was made in San Francisco by some deadheads, by some grateful deadheads, old deadheads from like the sixties. And holy shit. Whoa. Whoa. That's what made me say, okay, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. Because <laughs> man, oh my God, Alex, let me tell you, man, you know it. It's enough to stand your hair on end just thinking about it. But it was it was one of the most intense, unbelievable, beautiful, you know, terrifying, exciting experiences I have ever had in my life. And that's why I just don't do it anymore because I know I will never get that LSD ever again and I don't trust anybody else to ever make that LSD for me again. Yeah, I have some left and because I haven't don't haven't had such good experiences with it, not not nightmarish, just like boring in a sense. I've decided to uh, I'm going to microdose the rest of it because I I want to experiment with microdosing, so I'll try that, but uh, just not so I won't waste it. But <laughs> Dude, I heard that some guy learned German in like a week or two, microdosing with LSD and learning it like from his friend who spoke it fluently. 
Now, from what I understand, he was able to do so because the linguistics of English and German are very similar. And a lot of the rules are kind of similar. And the, the languages actually kind of sound somewhat similar. But also because his threshold for understanding was heightened. Uh, or in many cases, and I guess in the kind of a way it was like uh, – that he was able to extrapolate so much more from small understandings to create large understandings because he was microdosing with the LSD. Now, from what I understand, um, LSD as well as psilocybin, and I'm pretty sure uh, uh, mescaline and ayahuasca and DMT too, but I don't want to speak for, for both of those for certain. I know LSD and psilocybin, they, they – they basically connect the brain. They connect the neural net uh, of the brain far more densely than, you know, sober thinking. You know, so it would make sense that large extrapolations of understanding could be made from small, minimal uh, bits of information being understood. Because literally, there's more brain activity. It's almost like that movie Limitless. You know, where there's more brain activity going on, so the brain is able to comprehend things better. It's able to put the puzzle together faster. I don't have any experiences with mescaline or, or cactuses, but so how would you compare it, those experiences, with all the other ones? Well, um, I gotta be perfectly honest with you, I have not tried ayahuasca yet. I have smoked DMT. Um, but uh, that being said, with the cactus, it is one of my favorites. It's one of my more preferred. Um, but the thing is, sometimes it doesn't get along with people, and that like some people end up throwing up a lot, you know. And then that could be just because they have uh, stuff to cleanse, you know. They they have you know stuff they're not dealing with, and the cactus is like, oh, we need to get rid of this, you know. Kind of like with the ayahuasca, and the mushrooms have done that to people too, from what I remember. Uh, some people saying. But the cactus itself is a much longer experience because the mescaline is shaped like an amphetamine molecule. It actually lasts longer. Now, I'm not saying mescaline is an amphetamine. What I'm saying is it is shaped like an amphetamine. And therefore, instead of it, it's, it's not an alkaloid. It's not, it's not like uh, mushrooms. You know, it, it doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't touch the same portions of the brain. Um, it affects the brain differently. It still perturbs brain chemistry, but it doesn't perturb it in the way that mushrooms or, say, uh, you know, LSD or something like that would. The experience is approximately with all depending on if you're talking about like uh, peyote. That is a, a couple days uh, feeling it, not necessarily seeing it, but feeling it. And uh, with the San Pedro, that is like a 12-hour experience. The first hour or two is spent coming up, uh, and then uh, you get about, I don't know, anywhere from 8 to 6 to 10 hours, all depending on how much you've taken. And then the last two hours, you know, is the come down. Um, with mushrooms, I got really intense colors, uh, like uh, bright, deep colors that were um, – like uh, the kind of colors you would think you would see on like a, a paint palette or something. Whereas with mescaline, with the cactus, I personally got more like neon colors, you know, um, and uh, um, 
you know those uh, those Native American blankets that you see those triangle designs on, and they're like all rainbow colored and stuff. The Navajo blankets, yeah, stuff like that comes a lot with the cactus, um, which I think you know says something. I had a debate online a while back with a guy who wanted to do ayahuasca, but he wanted to somehow make, do some chemistry with it so it wouldn't induce any vomiting because he said that he would imagine that would just ruin the experience. And I was trying to convince him that uh, it will be ruined if you don't vomit because <laughs> that's the best part. That's like the that's like the orgasm of the thing. <laughs> right. Well, and it's also the plant... It's the plant's way of cleansing your energy. You know, I think that people need to they need to realize that they don't know everything and that the shamans have been doing this stuff for thousands of years and if they just listen to the shaman, listen to the person who has the experience, the 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 depth of knowledge to actually use these tools appropriately. You know, people people can go and think, you know, oh, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to take that and I'm going to mix these plants together. I'm going to eat mushrooms and LSD and I'm going to take some cactus with it. And it's like, dude, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you are not only highly disrespecting all of the cultures in which these are sacred plants, but you're also disrespecting the plant teacher and Good luck having three teachers try to teach you different lessons at the same time. That's just going to be overwhelming, you know. And uh, the uh, the respect that has to be there for the shaman is paramount. And would I mean would you agree? Yes. And when I drank ayahuasca the first time, you know, I, you know, because you, you always feel a bit seasick and not you feel nausea, and um, so and you also feel like oh I, I want this to stop, you know, because it's so intense. Uh, so when I actually vomited the first time I ever did it, I thought that it would. Uh, be good to vomit because then the effects will go down because I know that you know like when you're very drunk and you vomit you usually sober up a bit but not with ayahuasca it's actually became stronger it's just that you kind of go past the seasickness so you can enjoy it more right well it's the same thing with the cactus and so anybody that chooses to go or do a cactus ceremony or anybody who has the opportunity i i would you know highly recommend it do you know do so with the most reverence and respect and be okay with throwing up it is okay to throw up you know and if anything it's a good thing because that's the plant's way of saying ah we got rid of this negative emotion or we got rid of this trauma or whatever that you had stored away in your gut you know um, and now if you think about it the gut is the emotion center of our body and uh, a lot of our immune system and stuff is also in our gut, you know, pushing away from us what isn't good for us or what doesn't serve us, you know. So when the plant goes in there and it cleans stuff out for you, it's doing more than just cleaning out the in, your intestines and your stomach and your gut. It is cleaning you out emotionally and spiritually on like the deepest of levels. 
And if you accept that, if you embrace that, if you believe that that is what the plant is trying to help you to accomplish and that's what the plant is doing, then the results will be through the roof. It's when you fight it and go, I don't like this. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go home. I, just I wasn't expecting this. I didn't want to throw up. You know, It's when you start feeling sorry for yourself and you get in this little pity party. That's when you start having a negative experience and that's when the cactus or whatever it is, the ayahuasca, whatever, is going to start handing you your ass. You know, it's going to start giving you a spanking. It's going to be, you know, pay attention, pay attention. You know, you're not paying attention. I'm, I don't know how many times I've said it to myself that I'm not doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, man? I I used to feel that way too, in particular about the mushroom because I I really had my behind handed to me. But after like a year away from it, I, you know... I was like, you know, maybe I just was doing it wrong. You know, I'm not knocking you and your ayahuasca. I just, you know, I I realized that that I wasn't giving the mushroom the reverent respect. So any of your listeners that have tried the mushroom and that have had, you know, a backlash that they didn't enjoy, maybe it's because they were at a party or they went to a concert, you know, maybe it's because they were being social or it was daylight out and there was chaos in your neighborhood. You know, the mushroom, if, if you give the mushrooms the conditions that it needs to grow, which is, Silence, darkness, and you know a regular temperature between 78 and 80 degrees, then they'll grow. And it's the same thing if you give them the same thing while you have them in your system. If you give the mushroom darkness, silence, and a nice temperature while you're laying down in your bed, you're going to grow. The mushroom's going to help you to grow. But if you try to take it to a concert with like a bunch of lights and noise or like a social event, like a party or something like that, the mushroom's going to be like, dude, I am not digging this. You know, can we do something else, please? You know, I mean, not this isn't this isn't necessarily the case with everybody. Obviously, there's some people that, you know, have had really good reports, you know, and they said, oh, I had a blast. It was the greatest party I've ever been to. But, you know, if you think about it, if these tools are so sacred and they are so amazing and they are so transformative then aren't we wouldn't we be being, being disrespectful the consuming them in any other way than what you know has been sanctioned as you know respectful for thousands of years you know this is the way that shamans got the most out of it why do it any other way what do you think? No, I agree. I, I would never, or I, I couldn't imagine doing it at a party because I, I can't hardly stand up. But uh, I should have added that when I say uh, I'm not doing this again, it's usually in the first couple of hours, but then towards the middle or end of the ceremony, it's always like, oh, it's, this was the best the evening of my life, you know? So it's it's uh, changes. It's just like, it's. I always call it... Uh, you know, sometimes it goes smoothly, but sometimes it's choppy waters when you when you cross over, and um, so it all depends uh, on those things. But uh, for me, it's always like when I eat the mushroom or drink the ayahuasca, as soon as it's swallowed, it's it's this thing like oh, I can't change my mind now, <laughs> like oh, and and uh, I remember one time I had a few rough ceremonies. And uh, 
the the ceremony I was doing, I, I actually drank it and then I actually prayed to the ayahuasca and actually said like, please uh, just uh, skip me tonight. I just I just need to have a rest, you know. And it actually did. H- hardly anything happened. I was just laying there, you know, having some memories, but it was quite it was extremely weak and I was kept thinking like oh thank you and then the next uh, ceremony after that I, I said okay now just give it to me and it did you know it's amazing how you can communicate with it isn't it to finish the point about the the whole idea of you know people that have taken mushrooms you know and not enjoyed it you know um if you talk to the mushroom you know or the mother ayahuasca or you know the cacti whatever it is even the cannabis if you talk to your cannabis before you smoke it and you tell you you tell it that you love it and you thank the divine creator for creating such an amazing miracle plant and you you love that plant you put all of your heart into that plant and you thank it for its sacrifice and you thank it for its knowledge and you talk to it and you explain your problems like this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on in my life. You know, If you treat it almost like it's a counselor, then it will help you. It will help you. you know. At least it helped me. You know, When I opened up to it, it helped me more than anybody ever did in my life. You know, It showed me how to be human. Have you had a similar experience? Uh, oh yes, uh, I always have some sort of uh, prayer to it before I do it, whatever it is, uh, <laughs> asking it to be gentle. And uh, uh, but of course, uh, I like this thing Terence McKenna said that psychedelics uh, across the board is one of those things that it doesn't usually it doesn't have to get easier the more experienced you are. You know, it's one of those things where it can actually be more difficult the hundredth time you do it and the first and most things in life it gets easier because you so it's very different yeah yeah it's true it's very true and i think the reason for that is that you go deeper and deeper inside yourself each time you know and that's why so few people want to be shaman you know, or at least wanted to at one point, I think that we're coming into a new age. I think we're coming into an age of neo-shamanism, not the shamanism of the expert, but the shamanism of the explorer, the the, the individual being their own shaman and saying, you know what, uh, I'm not going to go to some priest or rabbi or, you know, uh, guru. I'm going to be my own priest, my own rabbi, my own guru. I'm going to be my own mentor. You know, and uh, I'm going to look up to myself and the the strength within me, and I'm going to model myself after who I want to be and what I want to be, and I'm going to take these plants without fear. You know, I think that is the kind of mentality that we're seeing these days, and we're seeing more and more of it because there's more and more people. You know, we the the population has never been this big in our at least our in our recorded history. You know, so that means that there's going to be now more than ever, there's going to be more people consuming psychoactive plants than ever, even if they're illegal. I learned a lot about having preconceived views because uh, there was a guy when I was in Peru one time, there was a guy there who'd been there for a year and he was using, he was studying ayahuasca more, you know, very dedicated and trying to learn the, learn the trade, trade of being an ayahuasquero, but I asked him one day, like I was like, well, 
you know, you've drank it like 200 times. I mean, what's the point? You know, by now, you know, you know, because I felt I'd gone so far, you know, I tell them, what more can there be? I mean, isn't it just like uh, watching reruns after a while? And that night when I had my ceremony, uh, the next day after my ceremony, I went, oh, I get it now. I know why you've been drinking hundreds of times. There's no end to this. <laughs> right. You know, it's it, it, once you get in there, you really realize how big it is. And you're like, oh, my God, I am a drop in an ocean. You know, but but I'm also an ocean and a drop, you know, and that's I think I think that is ultimately the the real quintessence or the 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 chrysanthemum, whatever you want to call it, the 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 nuts and bolts, the everything of what the psychoactives kind of tell you, you know, is that yes, you are a drop in an infinite ocean, but you're also an infinite ocean in a drop. And what you do has a profound impact on the world and the people in it. And I think that's also part of the reason why people run from the plant so much is because they they can't accept the responsibility of their own humanity and the responsibility to the earth and to their their fellow man, or you know, or should I say their their fellow humans? I don't like this whole like you know man woman thing. Yeah, if you if you smoked uh, DMT, then I would say ayahuasca is exactly like DMT. It's just that it goes slower. But it's the same intensity, but but slower and, and of course longer. Um, and uh, but there's one major difference that is weird, and maybe that's because the ayahuasca is not only DMT, and that's uh, for some reason the when you smoke DMT, that world you enter is a bit more extraterrestrial or, or like alien. Whereas the ayahuasca is is they also have extraterrestrial things, but it's all there's also jaguars and snakes and there's things you recognize. So there's like a, it's a bit more familiar. Whereas the DMT is just like where the hell am I? You know. Yeah, you know, I'd have to say that it's kind of similar with the cacti too. Mushrooms is kind of outer space ish, and the cacti is Mother Earth ish. You know, um, the the mushroom, you know, is is profoundly different from the cacti, and the cacti is profoundly different from LSD and mushrooms and DMT. It's, you know, it's so interesting. I I, I once heard uh, that the all of the psychedelic plants are kind of like different branches on a Christmas tree, and I kind of can see, you know what that you know it's almost like it's like a different branch on the tree of life or something you know what i mean yeah and and it's always those plants are always listening also because i remember uh, in the beginning when i had done a few ayahuasca ceremonies and everything was fine i i i uh, told somebody else who was there to do it that because uh, he was very afraid and i said oh I, there's nothing to be afraid about. I don't have any fear doing this. This is easy. <laughs> and that night, that night, uh, I I've never been so afraid in my life. And and I learned the thing about you know like watch what you say. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There was a 
Yeah, there's. I'll just say there was a time or two where I I was mouthy when I shouldn't have been, and the next time it was like you were listening. It was almost like the plant repeated. Now, what did you say again? What did you say about mushrooms being weak? What was that? What was that? It's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it's you know, I think just if. As a final note, if anybody ever gets in a place like that, you can sing your way out of it. You can use mantra to get your way out of it, even if it's itsy bitsy spider. The whole point is to take large inhales of breath and to exhale them and inhale them and exhale them. Stay out of the fetal position. Try to focus your mind on something like, you know, a song that you enjoy. It could even be something simple like row, row, row your boat. The whole idea is to focus your mind on something that is uh, easy to understand and easy to guide the mind down a more pleasant stream. And not want it to stop. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Just keep going. Don't worry about the quote unquote negative vibes. What that is, I mean, and, and, if you see, you know, I, I once got a message from the mushroom that says, "What appears to be a demon may very well be an angel guarding knowledge." So do not be afraid when tested. You know, so you know, don't always, don't always. You definitely don't want to run from these things, but yeah, at the same time, you know, uh, Terrence McKenna has a place that he calls the meat locker, and I know exactly what he's talking about. And I don't like the meat locker just as much as Terrence McKenna does not like the meat locker. So whenever any like feeling of the meat locker comes out, I immediately just bust out my drum and I pound out you know a song or two or i do a mantra om manne padme home or something you know and you would be so surprised if you haven't done it yet combining mantra with these things you will get the most incredible results it's almost like oh this is what mantra is all about you know and now i've i've done mantra and i've gotten into alternate states of consciousness with mantra you know that is another aspect of shamanism just like tattooing is i have over 70 something hours of tattooing in my uh, under my belt um, but, uh, the mantra with the, uh, with the, with the plant, cactus, mushroom, whatever, it is like the cherry on top of the Sunday, man. If you haven't done it, you gotta try it. I learned something from the shamans in Peru. They said that if you see something that's scary, you ask it if it's the medicine and it, and in, if it doesn't go away, it is the medicine. So, um, I uh, I've uh, experimented with that a lot, and uh, every time I ask if it's the medicine and it's something that looks scary, it doesn't go away. I don't worry about it. But only one time there was a moment when some sort of demon-looking thing came towards me, and I said, "Are you the medicine?" And it it started to f instantly fade away. So I went, "That's right, you're not. You know, get the fuck out of here." <laughs> I, I got the power over it because I knew it. You know, if it, I don't know if it's true or not, but it worked. You know. Well, you know, the the word "true" is a funny thing because I'll tell you, man. You know, the shamans the shamans don't worry about what's rational or what's logical. I mean, they they are about using logic and ration and yada yada yada, but and rationale. But um, they're more so about what works, man. What works. You know, and if if pounding on a drum and singing a song heals you of cancer, then let's do that. 
if drinking mother ayahuasca, you know, helps you to, to stop drinking alcohol all the time, then just do that. You know, if asking it, are you the medicine works to dissolve negative entities away, then do that. What matters is what works. You know, these days we in this culture have been taught to trust experts more than trusting our own experience. You know, and, and that is right there, the ultimate like spiritual slap in the face, you know, because at that point we've handed over our minds to somebody who doesn't love us, but wants our money, you know, and people will tell you anything for your money, as long, especially if you keep giving it to them. Shamans don't want your money. They want your liberation. The shamans want your release from spiritual bondage. They have no agenda other than love. Any real shaman. I mean, there's there are people that go down to like Peru and stuff, and they think that they're talking to a shaman, and then the dude drugs them and then like rapes them and stuff. You know, you, people have, need to be really, really careful. You know who they are trusting. Uh, to, you know, drink. You know what 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 who they're trusting to get it, their ayahuasca from or even their their mushrooms or their you know dmt their you know their lsd you know we have to keep in mind we're putting this stuff in our bodies to permanently alter our view of reality who are we trusting with that i uh, made my own dmt a, a while back uh, and uh, what's amazing with that is that when you actually try it you're thinking like i can't believe i made this <laughs> right when you also put your vibes in it, it's yours. It resonates on your vibration. And that's why it's so weird because I've made it many times, but only one time successfully, but I've made it, it was, I made it exactly the same. And one time was I, I wasn't in the right frame of mind. And the one time I made it where it worked, we, I, I did it with a friend. We were really trying to do it uh, in our mind ritualistically or like consciously uh, sacred make it that way and it worked i don't know so again it's always like listening uh, intention intention well and you know it it the plants always listening the universe god whatever you want to call it great spirit is always listening and that's why prayer is so powerful. Even when you feel like it's not being heard, you know, I, you know, I've, I've had miracle after miracle when I, you know, could just continued to pray. You know, now my uh, my mother is not drinking alcohol after twenty something years of drinking alcohol. You know, she just dropped it one day. Just dropped it. That's to me. That's a miracle. Anybody that knows an alcoholic knows that that's a miracle. You know, for somebody that's been a drinker for over twenty years or so to just drop it. You know, and she wasn't doing anything like ayahuasca or anything. <laughs> you know, she just decided one day I'm, I'm done. That that can also be dangerous. Alcohol is one of those, those things. When you stop, you can die. But but the fact here's the other thing though, Alex, is that she didn't have any negative consequences she didn't have any withdrawal symptoms she didn't have any alcoholic seizures she didn't have any negative side effects now the thing is, is my dad who unfortunately has passed he was an alcoholic who drank hard liquor hard liquor like a lot for like 30 something years um and uh he couldn't get away from it 
he tried quitting a number of times and kept going back to it. And he's a perfect example of how it can end up turning really bad because he ended up having really bad alcoholic seizures and stuff like that, which is why, you know, I think that anybody that's drinking alcohol on a regular basis is searching for the psychedelic experience. Same thing with anybody that's doing meth or like huffing paint or you know eating Burger King every day, whatever. These people are looking for this experience that they know is out there. They know that there's something out there that's just going to knock their socks off, man. You know, and it's it they know it because it's in our DNA. You know, shamanism goes all the way back in every culture in every continent there's shamanism and there's the use of psychoactive plants different psychoactive plants but still the use of plants nonetheless so can you talk a bit uh, about your book and where people can get it and if you have a website absolutely absolutely um yes um well the book is entitled uh will and power inside the living library it's about a young man's journey after uh losing his job and after heartbreak and yada 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 you know it's about his journey on the shamanic path of his own and uh you know it there, there's a saying uh, it, one of my favorite sayings from v for vendetta is uh artists use lies to tell the truth while politicians use lies to cover the truth up um so uh, this book is kind of uh me using lies to tell the truth i'm Using story, which storytelling is a profound portion of shamanism. Shamans were the original story keepers. Um, I'm using the uh, the mode of story to, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, giving away some of the knowledge and understanding that has come my way in this process of. Uh, growth that I've been on, you know, the past many years. Um, I don't want to give away too much about it just because like, I kind of just want people to, uh, you know, I kind of want people to experience it on their own and go through it and not know what's going to happen next, you know? Um, but I will say this, um, some of my most profound lessons that I've learned from the plants are, are in that first book. And uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, all you have to do is look up Will and Power, you know, colon, inside the living library. And uh, you, you'll, when you see it, you're going you're gonna to know. It's, it's like a very psychedelic looking cover. Um, and uh, it's uh, $13.99. I have had it up for a good month or two. I've already got a number of copies sold. Um, let's see. What inspired the book, though, more than anything, for those that have read Carlos Castaneda, you know, um, a lot of uh, what inspired me about Castaneda's work is that when he died, uh, there was a lot of controversy about whether or not what he wrote was true. And I came to the understand because, understanding because he had impacted me so profoundly uh, through his books that it didn't matter whether or not it was true. And the reason it didn't matter was because what were the lessons that you got from it? You know, it doesn't matter if, you know, X, Y, or Z is true. If it makes you a better person, if it makes you a, a more powerful human being, whatever, then do it. 
you know, experiment with life. The shaman is the greatest experimenter, you know, so all the lessons I've learned are not all, but many of the lessons that I've learned from my own experiments in shamanism and, you know, my own experiences into these deep, deep spaces in mind is in this first book. And, uh, if people want, they can check out my blog. Uh, it's uh, fresh Phoenix, P H R E S H P H O E N I X three, three dot W I X S I T E.com slash Neo shamanism N E O dash S H A M A N. I said shamanism, Neo shaman. Uh, that's my blog. You can also find me on Facebook. You can look me up, Lone Wolf, L-O-A-N-W-O-L-F-F. Um, if you're interested, you can also email me, uh, beingthechange at yahoo.com, just exactly the way it's spelled. Uh, cool. Well, thank you a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast. If I can't thank you enough for having me on. And I, uh, you know, as I make more books, I'll definitely let you know and hopefully be on again. I'll post some of Lone Wolf's links in the program notes. Now I want to suggest a film that in a sense has some psychedelic qualities. Okay, time for a black and white oldie from 1950 starring James Stewart. The film is called Harvey and it's an amazing film in my opinion. It's about this guy who has this uh, pretend friend, a giant rabbit called Harvey and he talks to him and you know, James, you know, it follows him around and James Stewart, he plays this character so well that even though you don't see the rabbit, you kind of see it based on his acting. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's really well made. And uh, this character that James Stewart is playing is called Elwood, and he has a sister. And she doesn't like, you know, she, she's upset that he keeps talking to this rabbit, this invisible rabbit that's even taller than him. And it upsets her, and, you know, she tries to have. Elwood, her brother, committed to an insane asylum because, you know, you gotta be insane if you're talking to invisible rabbits. So he takes, uh, she takes, takes him to this asylum and he, she tries to convince the doctors to commit him. And she's so uh, upset about this invisible rabbit called Harvey that she manages while she's telling the doctor to commit her brother, she like, you know, she starts talking about that she's all, she can also see the rabbit because, he, you know, like, like, like me, the viewer of the film, I, I can in a way also see the rabbit because he acts it so well that the doctor thinks the insane person is his sister. So he commits his sister instead. Uh, so it's pretty funny. It's a funny film. And, um, uh, you know, for me, it also is about, you know, what is real? Because for the James Stewart's character, Harvey the rabbit is real. So who can say that he isn't real? You know, maybe if you would also see the rabbit, 
you would also know it's real. You can never really question somebody else's direct experience. And this is what this film is about for me. So uh, try and find Harvey. It's a very good film. There is nothing more to say other than present the song I want to end this episode with. It's called Separation from the debut album Iosis by Alchemista Sonida. Because psychedelics is a kind of separation from the self, in a sense. Terence McKenna called it a boundary-dissolving experience. So I think the title of this song is fitting. If you want to check out this artist, Alchemista Sonida, just go to alchemistasonida.com. See you all in a week. I think we'll be talking about alchemy and cannabis. Freedom is in the mind. Start to think that you may be changed.